welcome back right now I'm not feeling so good this is one of my not so good day um, when your allergies attack somehow I always wind up having problems with the rest of my body um, Friday over the weekend on the 29th it was my daughter's birthday I was so happy it was her birthday her 22nd birthday and we were all gonna get together as a family for her birthday and I hadn't been feeling good um, that day I felt so bad I was to the point to call 911 but I thought if I just rested and got through the day then I would be okay what people don't understand is that when you have an autoimmune disease they see you and they you look okay they don't see um, what you go through they don't see the pain having that and on top of fibromyalgia is um, not something that that I feel comfortable talking about I have been having spasms all week um, they've come and gone like once maybe in the morning or or maybe at night but I've never really had them at night like a, you know or early in the morning but then since I've been to the hospital I uh, went on the second they actually did not have no beds so um, I went to the clinic first and they told me that they called the hospital they were gonna put me as an outpatient so um, they said they would treat me there until they pretty much got a bed right now with everything that's going on with the coronavirus you're lucky to get even into a hospital and even if you're in there you're pretty much quarantined you're by yourself so they're not letting anybody with you or family or anybody um, recently I had a friend of mine Rogelio Delgado and he's battling kidney disease right now he's been in and out of the hospital and he's in and out of the hospital maybe once a week he tried to you know give your friends family hope so you always try to be positive about things even when you're not feeling good you know but sometimes 
you need to be positive. I don't know, but somehow I get too emotional. And having family around, if you have issues or you have some kind of drama, it just always seems to affect me. Not just emotionally, but physically. And now that I've noticed that the more that I feel sick, the more I emotionally I get. And um, on the 29th of my daughter's birthday, um, me and my second daughter, Ariel, she, she announced on Easter that she was pregnant. I was so I was so happy for her, but I was not feeling well that day. I did congratulate her and her new and her boyfriend. I really don't know much about him, but that was just something that you have to live to leave to your kids and hope that they choose the right person. Um, where I know where I'm staying, I'm staying with my daughter. And she's my oldest daughter. She works very hard every day. She doesn't see a lot of the stuff that I go through because I'm in my room. There's days I don't want to get up. There's days that I feel so weak. There's days that I'm okay. I'll make it through the day. And then there's days like these where it takes everything for me to get them go. Just for something simple as something to eat or to the restroom. I'm just glad that I took a shower last night. I'm glad that, that you know, that I have clean clothes. I'm just glad because right now I would not be able to do any of those things. I'm so weak and so tired. Me being a diabetic, um, I went to the doctor and the first thing is that my doctor wasn't there, so I had to see somebody else. What I don't like is having to explain myself every time that I go to a person that doesn't understand or can't comprehend what I go through. If there's someone like me that's a diabetic, that has fibromyalgia, that is going through everything that I'm going through, I'm on medications, sleeping medications, diabetic medications, uh, high blood pressure medications, um, pretty much asthma medications. Like I got two inhalers, I got a Pro Air and I got a Simbacort. Simbacort I just found out was for COPD. And my asthma gets so bad sometimes that um, I'll have a panic attack. This year was one of the worst panic attacks I've ever had. I literally lost my bowel movements having one because I could not breathe. And I've gone through panic attacks, but never as intense 
as strong as this one. The panic of not being able to catch your breath, the panic attack. It, on top of the asthma, is something that nobody ever wants to, to go through. On top of the sleep apnea that I have to deal with because I'm so deprived of sleep that I fall asleep sitting down. I fall asleep laying down, of course. There's also standing up and falling asleep. I have to always make sure that I'm near something or I'm close to something or I'm close to a chair, you know, make sure I'm close to the bathroom. I always have to make sure that I have all the things, make sure I have something to eat, make sure that I have something like a granola bar or something in my purse or something. I always got to make sure I have Benadryls. I always got to make sure I have epinephrine pills. I have to make sure I have take my 24-hour Allegra's allergy pills, which are supposed to protect you 24 hours a day. On top of that, you have all these other things that you're having to deal with, like taking your shot at 7.45 in the morning. So I have to get up early sometimes. Sometimes I'll sleep as far as maybe another hour, hour and a half. Sometimes if I'm really, really sick, I'll maybe, maybe, won't put it on till 10. But I try not to wait so long because 10 is close to lunchtime. And when I take my shot, um, I really don't get hungry. Uh, I wish I could eat first. And I check my high blood pressure. But sometimes I do like to check my, I like to check my my glucose for first before so I know what it is when I wake up in the morning. Lately, it's been about 50, 60, and it's gotten down to 30, which is very um, uncomfortable because at 30, you can go into diabetic coma. And they tell you not to eat sugar, so I ate, you know, some chicken last night, mashed potatoes, no snacks, no Cokes, had been drinking water all day, uh, drink a Gatorade Zero, which is supposed to have no sugar, but snacks, no. Um, I had an orange the day before that. The apples, I'm out of those. But I always try to have something to snack on. Being a diabetic, you know, you have to eat. For about 20 years, I was anorexic and bulimic. Anorexic is where I didn't want to eat at all, period. Um, I didn't want to drink water either because water takes... Water takes up most of your body. And I was trying to reduce as much water as I could. They said that you can do without water if, for a long time. 
So um, I did that. And of course, you know, the pressure of being a teenager and in high school and be being a chubby little kid. I was always told you got to eat everything on your plate. Well, you can't please everyone. So I would eat everything on my plate, but then I would feel guilty about it because then I'm like, I'm trying to lose weight, but I have to eat all this food. And I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get yelled at. So I would eat my food and then just go and throw it up. That way I wouldn't have to feel guilty. Okay, well, I'm eating this and then still have to work on my weight. You know? Well, that's the story of my life. And I think a lot of the medical issues that I have now has been because I used to do this when I was 13, 14 years old. Everything that you do now as a young adult will affect you later in the future. My stress level has always been very high around the people I grew up with, my family, the people that I surrounded myself. It was just always very intense. Drama. Having to deal with stuff as mental issues. Having to deal with alcoholism. Things like that in your life. You see everything that's going on and you want a better life for you. You want a better life for yourself. And you get to that point where you think you found that. And just like it comes, it goes. For the first time when I first met my husband, the father of my girls, he was my protector. I've never had anybody like that in my life. Everybody was not looking out for me. Not even the own people that that should be taking care of me. I don't remember as much. I mostly remember my dad sometimes. Mostly my grandma. But never my mom. There's maybe one memory I have of her. And I think that all these things that happen to you when you're young affects you mentally, emotionally. And it's really hard to know as a child that early in life, you had no stability. You had no love, no support. And just no no kind of balance. You try to learn from other people's mistakes. You try to do everything right. You try to live your life right. You try to eat right. You try to work right. You try to do right. You try to be a better person. You try to be a better neighbor. A better friend. A better wife. A better sister, a better mother. 
And sometimes we just keep trying, trying, trying. Some people give up. Some people don't know when to give up. I think that's me. With everything that I've gone through, so much animosity, um, so many difficulties. With my husband passing away at 23, so young, a widow at 23, like, who does that happen to? The level of stress comes in where you're not longer a two-parent household to three small, very small children, six months old, a year and a half, and a three-year-old. Those difficulties become a reality because if you have no support, how are you going to survive? And I don't know. I don't think I survived. I think that I had to work and live on a daily basis because I had always thought about my future. I always thought about my kids. I always thought about college. I thought about the things that you must, you would think with the stupidest little things. Like I always wanted to be a soccer mom and drive a Suburban and drive the kids around, carpool, go to the PTA, bake. All these little things that you want as a family. Have a house, have a dog, have a yard, have a white picket fence. Get married. I think it's every woman's dream to have that sometimes. And you don't have it anymore. Or you were working toward it and then something just is gone. You don't see your life as anything happening. And I've always told my kids to be independent. My daughter calls me out on it all the time. Well, you wanted me to be independent. You always told me not to rely on nobody. Now, you always told me that, you know, you have to do, you know, work your own, make your own. It Life changes. At that time, I was very arrogant. I made very good money, had very good health had a life had insurance um didn't have to count on anybody being them as young as they were um i've waited about 7 years off and on i had gotten sick off and on i've had a cough and i kind of kept it off and on um i had started having migraines off and on and i used to work in the construction, the refineries. So every time I would talk to my doctor about that, he would always tell me, oh, maybe you you were smelling something or maybe it's the gas or maybe it's in the air because you're around so many chemicals. No, that's not it. At a very early age, I was already having issues I would have to get a physical every year. When you're working in the oil field business, you're working in the refinery business, when you're working physically outside, 
we your body is used to being outside your your body is used to physically moving you know physically picking up things physically in motion so when you're going through all this stuff you really don't know what's going on until you stop to your body rest and your body stops right now i was sitting down for about 20 minutes i woke up this morning with the spasm so bad sometimes i can't make it to the restroom i had hot water and it's like that muscle releases with hot water but if i'm not anywhere near hot water i have to literally massage I, if not i will be in pain and it will come back and it will come back stronger so i have to be careful how i move Right now, I'm moving at a very slow pace. I had actually um, just fixed my bed, started moving around, was talking to my daughter on Messenger. Every time something happens, I let her know how I'm feeling. I started having a spasm, and I reached for my phone. Had another spasm after that, and I was crying. I was just thinking, if I can reach my phone, I can call nine one one. I couldn't move. I didn't want to have a spasm and a panic attack because I felt like I would just surely die right here. My room is pretty much clean. I got my beds done, but I got everything dumped out from my purse. And I was just like, if I call the ambulance, I'm going to have to put all that in my purse because I am not leaving my purse behind. And I'm thinking, is everything clean? <laughs> Do I have clean clothes? Do I have an extra pair of clothes? Like, I'm just thinking the most stupidest things instead of worrying about going straight to the hospital. Call 911 and leave now. Like, I am literally thinking about these stupid little things. I was thinking of calling out to my daughter. She recently blocked me on Messenger, and it's just stuff that we go through as a family. Something happens, we just kind of walk away from it for a while and then come back and deal with it later. And that level of stress, I think, has put me where I am right now. I can't deal with it. I dealt with a husband that was on the verge of schizophrenia, um, on psychiatric pills, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar, manias. And then I was dealing with another daughter that had manias. 
she was bipolar, ADHD, and somehow they did not get along, and somehow we didn't get along. So I was always in the middle of the stress. How I'm even alive, I don't even know. It's been very stressful. I've already had a nervous breakdown. I've already had um, pretty much problems with my heart because of my allergies. Um, it's not good when you're in the hospital and they put you on 22 pills. You know? I've seen my husband go into surgery, be out the next day where they've cut him when he had um, surgery on his neck. And he was out the door the next day. Like, they didn't even give him a day in the hospital. And when I went to the emergency room and I got sick and I had allergies, my body was shutting down. My pancreas stopped working. My body was not producing sugars. But now, even though you're diabetic, you still need sugars. I was in the hospital almost a month. And that's because I kept telling the doctor I wanted to leave. If not, he would have kept me right through Christmas. This was in 2015. And this happened right after a separation. So I'm telling you, things always happen right after something has happened in my life. Something always happens to me physically after I've been through something emotionally. I know that I've had a temper my whole life. And sometimes I've taken it out on the wrong people. Sometimes you can't take that back. You can't take, you know, you can't take that back. You can't um, fix it. I was very angry with everything that I, I've gone through my life with my parents and everything and them never even being in my life as parents. I've never seen them in the same room before. I've only seen them talk to each other one time and that was because they were arguing and fighting over the phone about custody when I was 15. Other than that, I've never heard them even speak to each other. Being an only child, it's very difficult. My mom already had two kids from a previous marriage before I came along. And then before I was three, she was out of my life. So it's been very difficult to have the stability of a mother or even to know what that is for somebody to hug you or brush your hair 
all of that affects you mentally. It affects you emotionally. And then when you get older and you have kids, you don't realize that you don't, you've never been loved or you've never physically had somebody just hug you and kiss you all the time. That's why you do as a parent, when you become a parent, a young adult parent, as I was when I was 18, you you see yourself a future when it comes to your kids. You see yourself bettering yourself. You see getting a better job, a better car, a better place, a better house. And you're not even thinking about yourself. You're thinking about my child. What can I do to make things better? More comfort. Um, as a mother, you don't want to see your baby cry. You don't want to see your baby stress. You don't want to see your baby hurt, you know. And the baby turns into a toddler. Then a toddler turns into a child. Then a young adult. And then an adult. Me, it's very hard for me because I still see my my girls as my little girls, my 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 little kids. I used to always hug them and kiss them, and when they started getting older, started going to school, they didn't want mom around. Like I was to the point where I would get into an argument with my daughter because, um. When we lived in Charlotte, Texas, where the grandparents are, we had to uproot everything we have here in Corpus Christi to move to Charlotte, Texas, because my grandfather had passed away. My grandmother didn't have anybody. And my grandmother was always there for me when I was growing up. She That was the only place that I felt secure my whole life was my grandparents' house and my grandpa, because I knew I was loved there, and I knew I was... I was taken care of when I was there. So I didn't see my grandparents as my grandparents. I saw them as mom and dad. That comfort. My grandmother had early stages of dementia. She was a diabetic. She had off and on psoriasis. She had off and on arthritis. She was always hurting. She was always making some tea. She was always cooking. But she was always going through some kind of pain. She couldn't remember what time she put her shot last. She couldn't remember certain things. It got to the point where it got very difficult for her to even cook. It got very difficult for her to move around. And after living here in Corpus for over 15 years, she had never called me before. And she had called me to tell me, well, I thought your aunt was going to bring me some something to eat. And I go, what happened? I go, yeah, Margie was going to come. My Aunt Margie, which is my grandmother's youngest. So she's always gone away with a lot more... <laughs> Then the rest of the family, or my dad, he's the oldest, so 
she got away with a lot. And then my aunt Sally came in second and she was like the most strictest person, scariest person. So I never wanted to be on her bad side. <laughs> but um, me, as I always am, trying to take care of everybody, trying to take care of my family, trying to take care of my grandmother, I moved up there. You make sacrifices and you want somebody to say, this is a good thing that you're doing and you don't get that. My father lived about 12 hours away. So he only came down for holidays or vacation. My grandmother was by herself and she would always cry and tell me that she wanted, she didn't want to live anymore. Right after my grandfather passed away, it was very hard for her because she was going through a lot of emotional issues physically and then on top of her her diabetes on top of her psoriasis, her COPD. But she had COPD because she used to smoke like a, a train. <laughs> when my grandfather had cancer, he beat it the first time. My grandfather went through a lot. <clears throat> He was very sick, and my father always blamed her mentally. My daughter, my dad, I mean, had mental issues. I wasn't aware of it. I grew up with my father, but he was, we have the same temper. He got out of school very young, so I think it was, I'm not mistaken, the eighth grade, but he worked very hard. He made very good money, but I don't remember him as much because when he remarried, then my stepmom took care of me. After that, it wasn't my father anymore. The only time I really saw my dad was on vacation, I guess you can say. And every other day of the week, other than that, like a complete stranger. Emotionally, I was fighting with my grandparents. I was fighting with my stepmom. And I was battling uh, mental illness with my suicide and my depression. I think my depression... And being so emotional and not having no support and not having nobody to talk to. And then being the oldest. And I just never had nobody ever. I just tend to hold everything in. And sometimes I think that holding everything in as much as I did has literally killed me.
because times are not like they used to be. Back then, you didn't talk about things. You didn't talk about a mental illness. You didn't talk about if somebody was slow and you never said the word retarded. You were very polite about everything. Never talked about being gay. Never talked about anything like that in my life at a very young age. That's just not something that we did as a family. Everything was kept in the family. You talked about it. You didn't bring any outsiders in. And you dealt with it. My grandmother didn't really believe going to the doctor, especially my grandfather. My grandfather will always say, I'm not going to go to the hospital. Hospitals are there for you to die. If I, the day I go to the hospital, I'm not coming back. I would be like, no. But this was a phobia that he had. My grandfather had a phobia. And I don't, I don't realize in a time that I started having many phobias. I was afraid of germs. I was afraid of just being dirty. Like, I was always cleaning my restroom. I was always cleaning the shower. I was always washing the dishes. Like, I just got OCD so bad. Washed my hands so many times. My, my, literally, my, my hands would hurt. Start chafing and getting cut and blistered and raw. Because the OCD was very bad. But when that started happening, I, I would start getting like an anxiousness. I would get anxiety. Um, a lot of it had to do with the way things were at home. So if things at home weren't right, it affected me. I never told my parents, but it did. I was waking up at 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, only four hours of sleep. 12, 13-year-old waking up drinking coffee. Who does that? Caffeine all night. And we weren't allowed to even have caffeine. But I needed caffeine because I had to stay up to do homework. Because I was taking care of five other kids. It was a very stressful environment. Had to make breakfast. Had to help with lunches. Had to do laundry before school. Had to do my bed. Had to clean the room. Daily chores. Had to, you know, put the clothes in the dryer so they'd be dry by the time you got home. There's five peop five kids in the house. Myself is six and two adults. That's eight. So, yeah. You cooked. You had to make big meals. Make sure everybody gets something to eat. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm.
my gosh. Talking about all this stuff, just it's emotionally draining because there's a mental illness on both sides of our family. On my dad's side of the family and my mom's side of the family. My mom was very OCD. My mom worked a lot. But at the same time, she she would never be around. There's little memories that I have kind of coming in and out of my life. And for some reason, I never told anybody, like, where's my mom? I It never crossed my mind. Because I had my my grandfather, my grandmother, my dad, my stepmom. And I just, I don't know if I was just so young to remember. If she, when was the last time she was in my life? But it affected me. It affected me. Till this day, it affects me. Being here in Corpus Christi, 20-something years ago, I came down here because my mom used to live in San Diego. How I lived here in Corpus Christi for over 20 years. My oldest daughter's 25, Cassandra's 25. She was like three years old when we came here. She's gonna be 26. So we've lived here about 22 something plus years. No family, no support. How do you, how do you make it? How do you survive? I don't think I've survived. I think that I am a product of my environment. Right now I'm very tired, I'm very weak. I used to be so cocky when I worked. Work six days a week and I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I don't want no days off, give me seven do another job on the weekends or side stuff on the weekends and I thought I was superwoman time is money and money is time and I don't don't even remember what I used to say all the time I used to always say um, time is money money is time don't mess with my money don't mess with my time I didn't think of it as just a job. I thought of it as just a luxury. Like money wasn't there just for my needs. It was for my needs and my wants at all times. And if I had to work to the bone and 
work 13 hour shifts like I did for for over 20 years it was very hard because you're exhausted you're not even thinking about eating all you're thinking about is resting sleeping waking up going to work the next day that's all you think about you literally become machine after a while you know you're lucky to sit down every once in a while and have like a big fat steak and potatoes you know and because I made good money, I always thought, okay, well, you know what? I deserve this. Having daycare and babysitters and nannies, my kids were, they said they weren't spoiled, but they were. Because I didn't really like taking my kids into another environment. I took my daughter into another environment and she was around other kids and one of the the kids had struck my daughter and my daughter being ADHD and I didn't know she was bipolar at the time but she was under five she slapped the little girl pushed her down the stairs and she's less than five years old you know the my friend at the time told me what happened and I got onto my daughter and I'm like, why did you do that for? She's like, mom, she hit me first. <laughs> so she condoned, she condoned, she hits me, I hit you back. I didn't feel comfortable really leaving her anymore, anywhere because uh, I ha did have issues when we would go somewhere or to other people's houses. So I, I was like, I have to do this. And then when she was in daycare, she was monitored, but she was very hyper. Sometimes the nurses couldn't keep up with her. And she got to the point that she was throwing fits and fits and fits and I was just getting called too many times from work and I'm like I need for her to be in her own environment where she has her own toys she has her own videos or tv or cartoons that she's watching where she's not going to be bothered where somebody will make her meals or something eat and she's in, still in her own, own environment because she tends to lash out emotionally I was having a lot of problems then at 23, right after my husband died, I started having physical problems. I started having problems, just body aches and, you know, just all the time. Just days that I would sleep, but there's days that I just didn't rest at all. I knew there was something wrong with me. When my when I got the news, my husband passed away. It's just like another sad story. They called. They told you what happened. You drop to your knees. Your heart drops the floor. You can't talk. You drop the phone. You know, you're looking whoever's there with you at the time, which was my brother. And he literally caught me because I literally almost fainted just from the news 
when you have difficult news like that, you never know how you're going to react. All you see before you is like a flashback of everything that you've gone through with this person or this person in your life and how things were supposed to be and not how they are. I didn't eat for a week after that. I was drinking water. My brother was making soup. And I just wanted to sleep. The depression was taking over. I had a little bit allergies come and, like, come and go. Then it got to the point where <clears throat> I was coughing mostly at night. I had been smoking off and on for seven years, but I had to completely stopped at that time. And I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be smoking again. Too many people in my life, and friends and family, all winded up with cancer, and I didn't even see it as a cancer. I saw it as a cancer stick. Going through that and everything, emotionally, physically, it was very hard. Every time I asked for help, I got chewed out verbally from my stepmom or my dad. Because to them, you know, you're still a kid, even though you're grown and you're an adult. And they automatically think that you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. It just got to the point where it was just such a negative environment for me that I never wanted to be around that ever. And when I did go over there, it was just for my dad. Every time I left that house, I wound up arguing. I wound up fighting. And then it got so bad that I don't know if my dad was being brainwashed, but my dad got to the point where he just physically started getting in my face and then physically started pushing me and physically like he had never done that before i remember i got in trouble maybe two times and the, the, those were all something my stepmom said that she assumed something which wasn't true but somehow my dad always believed it I got to the point where I knew I couldn't win, so I would not even try. As long as I was doing what I needed to do, I was not going to get in trouble. And that was it. There was so much going on for us to be able to go to church on Sunday. And then still come home, and there's drinking, and there's yelling, and there's domestic violence. This is this is your normality. This is normal. This is what you're you're around. You don't see it as nothing else. You don't see it as, oh my God, why is this happening? Nope. This is your normality. This is just another day. Another day in your life. 
I started getting headaches every time they would argue, and I never knew why. My head, my headaches got really, um, pretty much, my headaches got really stronger, and then they got to the point where they were on sets for even hours at a time. I was scared to go to sleep. <clears throat> I took aspirin, sometimes more than a couple of aspirins, because I couldn't take the, the headaches. I didn't know what was going on. Found out I needed glasses. Found out I had migraines. I fifteen, and I've been having headaches for a long time. So maybe it's because I didn't have glasses for since I was a kid. That issue solved. Physically, I'm falling asleep. I'm so weak right now. I'm so exhausted and I'm so tired. I just want to sleep. But I'm on medication. And being a diabetic, I keep having urinary tract infections, yeast infections. And then we say it's from the sugar. And when I saw the doctor, she's like, you're eating a lot of sugar. You're drinking a lot of sodas. Hell no, lady. From where? From where? Like, this This is a stereotype, you know? Because you're obviously not as skinny as a rail. You're stereotyped, and you're put in, a, like, a little... Just in a little slot there. Here. You're obese. You're, you're a stereotype. They always say, well, maybe you eat a lot of candy. That's why you're a diabetic. No. Don't stereotype me because you don't know my story. Everybody has a different way of going through things. My allergies got so bad that my body started shutting down. That's how I wanted to become a full-blown diabetic. Not because I was eating candies or sweets or nothing. Because what I was mostly too was into food, cooking. I cooked a lot. Unfortunately, it was with a lot of shortening, a lot of things that are not good for you, lard, you name it. Not doing so good. Having like almost fainting spells. Like I'm talking to you and June the second. I'm sitting there and I'm waiting for. the doctor and he tells me what's going on 
It's a different doctor, and I hate having to repeat myself. But I'm in a lot of pain. I'm having a discharge out of my belly button. The only thing I can think of is I've had my tubes tied. I know one of them had untied. Um, I'm having a lot of pain in my abdominal area. And my ovaries, like my little tummy there starts getting really, really hard. And I don't know what's going on. I go to the doctor. And the first thing she's like, Oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. You, know, you don't want to be a guinea pig. You don't want to be an experiment to someone. This is something that you're you're living. You're living, you're reliving, you're in pain, you're going through some stuff. You know, you don't want to sit here and take a picture. And the first thing that she said is just like, Oh, well, it's just that as doctors, we're going to compare and we're going to try to evaluate and see what's going on with you. At this point, I'm so tired. I'm in pain. I haven't slept. Like, I'm just like, I'm so, like, literally groggy. Groggy, like I'm coming out of a, an operation or something. Like, I'm just that tired and then weak and exhausted. But it took everything that I had just to go to the doctor. Because I know I needed to go to the doctor. It didn't feel good. I felt like this person took a picture without my consent. She even told me, yeah, can you kind of pick up your tummy a little bit? I just felt so violated. I've never seen this doctor before, Dr. Seuss Nettles. Every time I went there, I always wanted to see Dr. Bernadette Vela. She was the most sweetest doctor I've ever had. She understood my allergies. She knew that I needed my medication. She knew when I needed my steroids or I needed shots, something to calm me down. She gave me everything from topical, you know, to you name it, like, she literally did a lot for me. I remember being so sick and having a toothache there in March of last year. I left my purse on the city bus because my daughter wasn't able to take me to the doctor. She had to work that day and I was hurting. I was in so much pain. That I, I literally, my my phone, where it had everything, my ID, my money, my insurance card, everything. I dropped it. Uh, it fell out of my backpack. And I got there, and I couldn't even pay for the doctor's visit. But I had to see the doctor. Not realizing that I'm going to get there. I'm going to see the doctor. The doctor let me see her. 
But then I'm getting a prescription and I have no money. This just was my luck, unluckiest day. Try to get a hold of what was going on, see if, you know, they knew where my wallet was so far. So, yeah. Nope. I'm having these pausing moments because my sleep have been so bad. My, But I want to talk about everything while it's on my mind and while it's fresh. When I lost my wallet and everything, Miss uh, Mrs. Vela pulled the money out of her pocket. I will never forget this. She goes, this sticker is for one free medication. The other sticker is for you to pay. I mean, one sticker is for medication and she gave me $10. Here's $5 for your other medication because you need both of them together. And here's $5 for you to get home. I cried when she gave me this money. Somebody just so nice and so humble and I'm in pain and I'm hurting the humanity. I mean, it's not about $5 or $10. Um, it's about helping someone. When they're at their lowest. I had just had a panic attack the night before. So I was very scared. I didn't want to come out. I didn't want to go anywhere. But I was in pain and I knew that I had to. She knew about my allergies. She knew about everything I was going through. She knew some about the mental the mental things that was going through physical things. I got the money and I left when got my medication. And I cried the whole way over there to get my medication. I sat there and I cried some more. I grabbed my medicine. I cried more. You know. Took my medication. I already started to feel better. I always try to give out and help out as much as I can. Volunteer work, do what I can. Volunteer for the church. Help the homeless, feed the homeless. For my, for my church. Windsor Baptist Church here on Alameda in Corpus Christi, Texas. Because I'm sick sometimes. I can't always do it. But I always told myself there's no other people like me. Because I'm such a giving person and patient person and loving person. And you know, sometimes you find someone and you come across that person that way. And they give you a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith and a little bit of humanity. I went home that day. This was the fourth time that I had been to the clinic. 
for a doctor's appointment. You needed a referral to see the doctor. I had seen the doctor twice, so now I needed another referral. Somehow, everything is always so complicated just to see a doctor or a specialist. But it's just one of those days where your life sucks. You have no insurance. You have like the most lowest income insurance there is, and you're lucky to even have that. I was always so grateful to have that. Very, very grateful. That you have something, little bit of something. There's days I could pay for my meds. There's days that I couldn't. But when you have good people like that around you, you want to be better. You want to be better. I had been going through the past year through a lot of emotional issues with my daughter, every time that she came around, I became a basket case, just emotionally would break down, emotionally it get fall back into depression. That would always put me somewhere physically. And it's like a cycle, a cycle. Something happens, there's pain in your life. You know, no matter what. I try to keep everything as comfortable as I can. I have a fan on top. I have a fan on the side. I have the central air on 24 hours a day. My daughter's taking care of me. I can't ask for anything else. I can't ask them to come and make me a meal or anything like that. But I'm glad that yesterday my daughter got home. She made some chicken and mashed potatoes, and she offered me some. And I wasn't feeling so good. So, yeah, thank you. I want to have something for dinner today. But I wasn't even thinking about dinner. Like, I was just thinking about resting. I was thinking about getting better. I wasn't even thinking about going to the kitchen, and I love to cook. But when I'm feeling sick, you will not see me for a day or two or three. I disappear. And that's kind of how I feel right now. I got about four or five medications that I have to reorder and I don't have a phone. I have a phone right now through my Wi-Fi. I added that on for emergencies. But even that, I can't call certain numbers. And physically, I can't work anymore. Because I'm disabled.
And that's not a word that I don't like to say. I really don't even want to say that word at all. Because I feel like when you say this is something wrong with you, that's saying this is how it's going to be permanently. And I don't like to say those because it brings... I have a friend of mine that told me that when you say stuff like that, then you'll stay sick. If you're positive, if you get up and, you know, you try to make the best of your day, your day would always turn out better. So I always try to have that mentality. When my friend says that, you know, see the positive side of things. Don't let the negativity bring you down try to keep a little bit of that faith and that hope i try to surround myself with friends with people but i'm very isolated sometimes my daughter she's a very private person i think we all are but it's very hard to be in isolation not just because I'm sick. I'm already sick. I'm already going through an isolation. But to go through the point where you can't even have friends over or have some coffee over because you're living with someone. Like these are these are things that I've never been able to let anybody control my life. And this is where this is what I'm dealing with. So sometimes I think that being by myself and being in this isolation, especially now with a quarantine, is affecting me emotionally and physically. I have been going out off and on for a while. But once I start settling in, you know, instead of going out to dinner once or twice a week like I was before, and you just start staying at home. And then there's just not really permanently anywhere you can go. Physically, nobody's coming around. You're going through isolation. That's never a good thing. So I understand when we're all going through quarantine, you know. And you have to be away from people. And you have to be six feet apart. And you have to pretty much isolate yourself. But isolate yourself for somebody else's comfort. I'm waiting on the house right now in housing. And the worst thing about it is that I'm not sure if they'll help or not. When you get to this point that you can't work physically, but you're still doing what you can on the side, and you don't have a regular paycheck coming in, but you're still trying to bring in, you know, buy groceries, and you're still trying, I mean, it's a lot of stress. Because your body doesn't work like it used to before. I've had spasms all morning and it's exhausting. 
It feels like a truck hit me. I'm very tired. And I've been taking medications every 12 hours. And because my body's going through so much and I have an autoimmune disease, which is because of my allergies, what happens is that it's hard to fight infection. Um, so that's pretty much what it is. So I'm on medication right now called Bactrim BS. So I'm taking this medication. I have to take it every 12 hours. So I've had to set my alarm because my sleeping is so off. But I have to take this medication in order for me to feel better. Right now, I have the support of a very loving person in my life. Something that that I can say that when I talk about my first husband, he always wanted the best for me. It was a very loving man, but he left this earth too early. Him being that type of man that every every woman wants in her dreams that he's there emotionally, physically, verbally, just oh you great job today or you did good today or how was your day? Just things like that that you would normally find. It's really hard to find in a man nowadays. Physically, I was going through a lot. Emotionally, when I met him. And now I'm going through the same thing with John. And slowly, he's the person that's picking me up. He's my rock. He's understanding what I'm going through. And it's supporting me and tells me that he doesn't want me to feel like I have described to y'all how I have felt with no support and being alone. Having him in my life, I think, I think it's what's saving me. You'll be lucky to have one good thing in your life like that. But for you to have it twice, it's a blessing. And I always tell him, I was at my breaking point. When I told God, if this is, you know, that I was tired, 
I never thought that he would bring anything, anybody into my life to comfort me. I just always thought that God would comfort me in that way that when you are losing a little bit of faith and a little bit of hope because everything that you're going through. So you ask him and you pray and you say, I need some help right now, God. I'm going through something. I'm going through some issues. I really don't have anybody to talk about it. And you think that you become stronger because you get that peace that you need. Like I always do when I would go to church on Sundays. I would walk out of there like I felt like I left everything at the altar. But I never thought I'd have another relationship at 43 years old. This person, this man has such a work, good work ethic. He is so funny. It makes me laugh, <laughs> even when I'm in pain. And he makes me happy. And I need that sometimes when I'm not feeling myself. Everybody needs that support, that little bit of a push. I have my kids, but they're older and now they have their families now. They're in relationships and everybody's apart. And that's not something that I ever wanted. That's not what I worked so hard for. I didn't work two, three jobs for the last 20 years. But they're doing the same thing. They're doing what they know. And that's work. They don't want to be without anything like I did when I got hurt and I couldn't work anymore like I did before. I couldn't work physically like I used to work before, but I still kept working. I think they're scared to not have that independence and scared of not having that financial stability they need at a very young age. My youngest is 22. And then my second is my daughter, Ariel, 23. That drives me crazy sometimes. But I love her to death. I think it's good that people see that it's not just green on this side. I've always had my family tell me, oh, well, you're the first one that went to college. Oh, you're making lots of money. Or you're doing really good. But I'm not. I never have. I've never had money. I've never been rich. I've never had too much or more than I thought. I mean, I thought I was always barely making it. 
like a lot of people do nowadays, making it just from paycheck to paycheck. But I've been by myself here for 20 years. So my family hasn't been here to see the struggles that I have. They haven't been here to see, you know, what you go through as a family, how rough it can get sometimes. You know, through the financial stabilities, losing one house, losing another, you know, and getting into car wrecks. I mean, you... Go through life. But to my family, it's always been, oh, you're doing good because you say you're doing good. No, I just would always say that because I didn't want them to worry. Are you doing good? Yeah, I'm good. Just like somebody, your family, your friends, how are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I'm doing good. You're not going to tell them your shoulder's hurting, your pain, you just got out of the hospital, you know, you can't eat, you know, you're having issues, you're having family problems, you're having drama. You don't, you don't want to tell them that, you know. Physically, you're hurting every day. Emotionally, there's always something happening, you know. It becomes solitary in your life. You're lucky to have a spouse or for you to have someone in your life. Like I have my boyfriend. You know, his phone got cut off yesterday. He didn't pay the bill. (laughs) And he does construction. I had not heard from him in 18 hours. I was very worried. I already had a list. And... I'm not the type of person that's going to call his job or call his work or anything like that because he works very hard and he gets home pretty late sometimes and him working out of town right now, I don't get to see him at a week at a time sometimes, just a weekend. So I know there's something wrong, you know, you feel it. When I had my allergies and I wound up in the hospital. I knew there was something definitely wrong because he would never not call me back, especially if he knows it's an emergency, especially if if he knows I went to the clinic or to the emergency, you know. Even as an adult, I'm 43 years old, and I literally have felt like I'm 15 years old with my boyfriend, I literally have kept everything to myself, kept our relationship to ourselves until we're ready because at 43, you don't want to just bring somebody into your life and then it doesn't work out. You know, you want to take your time. You want to make sure you're on the same page. You want to make sure that, you know, that you're going to have a future together or that, you know, you're adults. You're not in your 20s again is starting from but this is something that when you're going through something like I'm going through you always need that support I let him know at the very end of my message what happened I didn't want to 
tell him about the details. He'll, everything will be on his phone. <laughs> the only thing that I told him is that I had a reaction. I had to take, I went to phylactic shock. I had to take a Benadryl. Then it didn't work. I had to take a second one. And then my last shot was I had to take an epinephrine shot to my leg. And then go to the hospital. You don't want to tell somebody that when they're a hundred miles away. And you're not going to see him for, you know, he'll come home about seven today on Friday. But the hard part about it is that we're not living together. He's got a roommate. I got my daughter and my son-in-law. So we're roommates too. So it's very hard because we're at that point where we want to already just live together. We're older people. We don't want to be around the young generation. We're slow at our pace. We, you know, like to have our coffee, our talks, our newspaper, like mom and dad, you know. So I can't wait for him to come home. The more I think about it, the better I'm starting to feel. Um, so I, I've had lots to do, but I haven't been able to catch up on everything just little by little because of everything that I've gone through this past week in and out of the doctors. When I went on the second, I got an IV drip. Because I was very dehydrated and my high blood pressure was very, very high because of the pain that I was in. When the doctor told me they didn't have any beds available to come the second day. Um, I went the second day. And they were telling me all this stuff. All this, all this stuff that could be happening with my body. All this stuff right now. Um, my A1C, everything. When they do your blood work, they do all this stuff so they know how your body's functioning. You know? And, um, my body's not functioning right, right now. And you know because you feel it. You know when you feel sick, you know when you feel better. But that's kind of what I'm going through right now. I did some allergies tests and I had a hundred small little shots all down my back. I have pictures, pictures of my gown and pictures of all the shots. And those were two sets of shots because... I saw a hundred little vials, 50 vials, and then another 50 vials. And I told her, are those all for me? And she's like, yep, they're all for you. <laughs> oh, my God. The only thing that I was just like, well, I have to be here because the allergist has to know exactly what I'm allergic to. 
And she said that literally the same things that I'm allergic to, they inject them back into my body to see how I'll react toward them. If I'm already allergic to something, I don't get it. I don't get it. But everything goes on. That's kind of what you go through. I feel like I'm just so tired and so weak. I don't think I'm going to be able to keep going. And I'm so exhausted. And I'm in still a little bit of pain. But I'm going to try to get through the day with my allergies going crazy. My psoriasis is inflamed. My body is just so tired and it's 11.41. And it's June the 5th. I went to the doctor June the 2nd, had an IV drip, had medications. Then the doctor tells me, we're going to give you some kind of medication. And she went back and she said, oh, we can't give it to you because you're allergic to it. So my speedy recovery was not going to be speedy after all. So it's 1142. I'm tired. I wanted to take a walk later, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to. I need to go to the store. But I don't know if I'm going to be able to. These are things that we'll have to wait because I'm tired. I need to go back to the ear, nose, and throat doctor so I can get back on my shots. The allergist where I had everything done was at the Spawn South Hospital. But I'm going to have to go to another doctor. So I'm hoping I don't have to go through another 100 shots. On Alameda ear, nose, and throat doctor. I don't even know doctor is. They gave me a time and a date. But I was so close to doing one thing and doing another. I got the dates confused. And finally, when I was able to get out there, I got there pretty late. So they told me to call and reschedule. I got it confused with another date. And... um I forgot to put the alarm on my phone. I usually have it on arm. I have it on the calendar. And then plus I also write it on the calendar. 
So I always try to keep up with everything. But when you go through little things like this, you you don't keep track of a week. You know? And um, all I know is that I just want, I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. I have another doctor that I have to go see. There's four doctors that I see. One of them, which is my dermatologist, I stopped seeing her because of my skin. Every time I went to go see her, she gave me no medications. She didn't recommend me to nothing. She was trying to recommend me for UV ray shots or something like that. But I know I need to go see them because if I start getting my shots again, then I'll be able to fight more infection and I won't get as sick as much. And I have to keep up with my health. But sometimes it's very hard because you go see this doctor, then another doctor, then I still got to call in for four or five other medications that I had no refills for. And then I went to the clinic and then I wound up bringing two bags home. So I always take a bag because I'm so embarrassed. I don't know why, but I always have people tell me, you don't look sick or you don't look that sick when you're coming home with Novolog, four tubes of clobidazole steroid for your breakouts, for your allergies, you know, your pro-air, your Simbacort, make sure you can breathe, your epinephrine pills, you know, for emergencies, you know, extra shots for your, for your insulin, you know, then your calcium pills, and then your cholesterol pills, then your high blood pressure lisinopro pills. I mean, sometimes I think, is there any, like, pills that are, like, actually happy pills? Because all these pills sound depressing. And then there's your Wellbutrin pills for your depression. And there's the Trazodone pills just so you can get some sleep. At the end of the day, you spend the whole day popping pills the whole day pills shots and i actually have a couple of medications like metformin that i only take when i'm at home and maybe like one or two and my mind's already going
one of those long pauses because the sleep apnea kicks in when you're exhausted. You don't know exactly when it happens. And you just don't want to deal with anything right now, especially drama. My ex-boyfriend tried to call me the other day, and my ex-husband did too. What are the odds in that? But I'm already in a relationship. I don't need any more drama. And they don't seem to understand that. I don't want anything to do with you. If you're going to cause an issue or cause me problems... Like, I've learned that I have to stay away from negativity. I have to stay away from drama. I have to stay away from stress. When the doctor told me, you had a nervous breakdown, you know, you're going to wind up with a heart attack, and then I had a light heart attack. Let me tell you something. That's no joke. When you feel like you have to fill out life insurance forms and you have to start Looking for brochures for your own funeral. Like, I was to the point where, what are they going to even say on my, on my obituary? You start thinking like that. You start thinking about, you know, I need to get life insurance for my family. I literally sent for two different, two different types of life insurance. Because we've had a death in the family a couple years ago with my grandson. And we didn't have the money to pay for it. We weren't prepared. This is stuff that you're never prepared that are, that happened that you're not ready to see. I want to go to the store. I have a list. I want to go to Walmart. I need eggs. I wanted to make a cake. I wanted to go to the store. I wanted to make dinner for John when he gets home. But you know what? Right now, like, I'm just going to get some sleep by the time he gets home. And go from there. Because all I need right now is just like a hug. And just lay down and just have him with me. And we might as well just get something to eat or order out and go from there. But he understands. He understands that there's days I'm not myself and there's days that, that I'm more than that. And... um my sleep apnea has gotten pretty worse because I actually had stopped using the machine. I was having one panic attack after another, and I just didn't use it every day. And I don't know if that's a good idea, but I started using it every other day or when I really needed to sleep. 
And so now I'm having them and I can feel them almost frequently. And I'm going to have to go and see somebody about that too because um, I have to get some new stuff. And then my other doctor wants me to get an asthma, new like nebulizer or something. Because my asthma gets so bad sometimes. He wanted to start putting me on breathing treatments. But I don't understand. Sometimes I feel like... The doctors just make you worse. That's kind of how I feel. Like, they just make you worse. Like, they're not getting you better. You go from worse to worser, you know? So, it does become an issue after a while. Because you're like, who do I trust? So, I don't like from going from one doctor to another. And today's Friday, and if I don't get to... Call in the extra stuff that I need. I'm going to have to wait till Monday. Hopefully by Monday I'll have my phone on. Because me and my boyfriend. He's going to go get his phone on. And I'm just going to tell him to add me to the plan. Because I just got a, a, a new phone. Because my other phone. What, is messed up. So. Go from there. Alright. I'm going to check out. I'm at 46 right now. I was going to wait. To the whole 50, but I can't. I want to be able to bring somebody onto my podcast. I've actually been looking for new microphones. I saw someone on the marketplace on Facebook. I wanted to be able to have somebody here while I'm doing the podcast. So I won't always be by myself. Somebody, I've been thinking about my friend Orlando. Right now he's making a transformation. He's going to try, he's already lost 50 pounds and he's trying to lose about 100 right now. And he used to be, um, well, he's a sailor from the Navy. So he's going through a lot of stuff right now himself. He actually had gotten hurt from the neuropathy that he has in his legs. Um, He had fell down and hurt himself. He actually didn't feel it. And he had actually lost consciousness. So when he came to, he was still on the floor. Like, nobody even stopped to help him. You know, how sad is that? You know, when you go through something like that, and you have to, you know, start thinking that maybe, you know, it's time for you to change your lifestyle. And I always tell them, we need to go work out. We need to do this, this, and that. Because that's one thing that I started doing. I started doing yoga to help me. I started doing meditation to help with uh, everything. Positivity. um, I make my aromatherapy soaps because I've had psoriasis and I've had allergic reactions. I've had to make my own lotions. I've had to make my own soaps my own pretty much everything i make my massage oils to help me with my spasms everything i've done has been for myself really and this is kind of like a gift because 
this is something that I know how to do and I've learned how to do and I work with herbs and I work with mint leaves and I work with roses and I dry my lavender and I dry my sage and people always tell me wow you know you do these kind of things yeah even now right now um I made myself some chamomile because my I was getting a little bit anxious so the chamomile always helps me and um it helps my my anxiety and it helps me sleep. Right now I'm not trying to sleep, but I am trying to help my anxiety. So cup always helps. It helps me relax. I used to be on Xanax and I don't know if that's where my anxiousness came more. I had anxiety before. At that time I had a Dr. Mick here in Corpus Christi. Um at the Right here down down the street on Brownlee. And she had me on Xanax. And I was up and down. She started me off at the point fives, And now it's like n- not anybody could just get Xanax. I guess you have to have really, really bad anxiety issues, which I do. And I tell them all the time. With everything that I go through, all the medication I'm on, I go through a lot of anxiety and that's one thing we're going to probably talk about in my next episode is anxiety and how to deal with it a lot of my anxiety issues medication hasn't helped me what's helped me with my anxiety has always been with aromatherapy candles with meditation with teas green teas with chamomile um, Advil PM is actually a very, very good one. I don't have side effects when it comes to Advil for me to sleep. But at one time I was even on Valiums. But when I started having issues and my body started shutting down with my hearts and my liver, they didn't want me, you know, on that. And they, I even, they even stopped giving me pain pills for you to be in pain and not get pain pills is the worst thing. And I know because I, I know people can relate to me when I can sit there and say, you're in pain, but you go to the doctor and they wind up giving you an aspirin. You're like, are you kidding me? You know, you could say other things in other words right now, but <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it clean. But I would be like, are you serious? I've been sitting here in a lot of pain and you want to give me a... And that's kind of an issue I had to go through with my ex-husband. When he was having neck surgery and all these issues, he would get so upset because they were not giving pain pills. But he had a high tolerance because he was taking them for so long that they had to give him like oxycodones. And that's like the worst thing that can happen is give somebody an alcoholic. Um, oxycodones because he went from having alcoholism problems to having pill problems to where he would get really bad mood swings with the oxycodone like it was literally like he was on steroids like shot steroids where your 
doing illegal steroids where you get so angry and you're messed up and you turn like the Hulk. You get to that point where your anger takes over. And I think that a lot of these issues are stuff that we can talk about later on. You know, for now, I'm just going to sign off and start another segment, maybe tomorrow. I always like to talk about stuff right when it's fresh. I'm sorry it's taking so long. Um, I was in and out on the second and third, in and out of the clinic, the hospital. I I really want to do these while I'm going through it, but I can't sometimes because I'm going through it so much. So I would literally get too emotional. If not, I would have to be stopping every five minutes for because it would be I would be an emotional basket case. The only thing that I can tell you is that there needs to be some kind of happiness and peace and love in your life and support when you're dealing with issues like this and you don't have that. It's very hard, especially in this time where a lot of people don't have that support system. Like me, at one time I didn't have that and I'm barely starting to have it right now and I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for every little bit of time that I can have. I just thank God for it every day. And just pray about it. That's all I can do right now. If you start taking care of yourself physically and mentally and spiritually, you become a different person. You you become a very quiet person, calm person. Not the person that you used to be before. And it's actually very good for you. It's good for you to 